Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We're going to Acts chapter 9 today, and we're going to look at Jesus as the Son of God. Only days after he was water baptized. I mean, it was just days. It was the next Sabbath, whenever that turned out to be. Saul of Tarsus was already in the synagogues, and there were many in the city of Damascus. It had a huge Jewish population in Damascus and had historically for for many, many years, hundreds of years, there'd been a large Jewish population. So there's lots of synagogues. Within within whatever days between his water baptism and the next Sabbath, he is in synagogue preaching this message. Jesus is the son of God. Now, Now, what do you suppose a Jewish audience hears? What do synagogue people hear? It's one thing for us to go, yeah, he is. But what did they hear? What did they understand by that term, son of God? Did they, did they have that in their thinking? Where is that? How could they have heard that? I, 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 we're going to look at that today. We're going we're to listen to it, as it were, through Jewish ears. We're going we're to see what did they hear when the son of God was preached, and what did Paul learn about that. Father God, would you open the word to us? We want to glorify your son. We want to understand and, and, and love him and honor him. We want to declare Jesus is the son of God with understanding, with boldness, with confidence. Lord, ground us in your word today. Open it. Open my heart open so that I'd see afresh my mouth to speak your word and not my own. We love you, Jesus, and honor you in your precious name. Amen. I'll start at um, chapter 9. I'm going to read from verse 19 down to verse 22. He's just been healed. He has been water baptized. He's been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he's been fed some food. And so that's all it takes for Saul. And off he goes. And he took food and was greatly strengthened, is what it says. And now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately, uh, straightway, from the next Sabbath, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the Son of God. Would you say that? He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing the bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. There are mysteries that lie hidden for centuries. And then God in his perfect timing chooses to reveal a deeper level of that truth. Until that revelation is given, we must believe as much as he has shown us and then humbly acknowledge there is still much we don't know. Those who try to solve these mysteries before God reveals them always get it wrong and end up leading others astray. The human mind is simply 
incapable of discerning God's mysteries on its own. Somebody say something. Amen. Amen. That's it. We, we must wait until he explains them. In fact, his spiritual truths are so deep, we will spend a lifetime trying to understand just a portion of what he has shown us. There is no more profound insight than this. Theology 101, he's God, you're not. Say that. He, he's God, I'm not. There you, you, that, you, that'll, that'll start you right there. We, who are we dealing with? We're dealing with the mind that spun the universe. Who, who knows physics? You know how many times I took physics? He, 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 th- this is the mind that, that, that not only the power that spoke the universe and just said, let there be light and boom, there was. But this is the mind that put together a universe that works with all of the nature and all of this thing. Th- this is who you've come to. When, when I was in college, uh, I always had a fish tank in my, my dorm room. And uh, I had it for years. I'd had it before, and I, but I, I had... Um, I had some of those neon tetras, and I had a placosimus, and I had some platys, and I had oh man, I got all these. And I had a foam rubber couch, and I'd put that in my, my fish tank somewhere there, and, and I would sit and watch it, and, and various classmates of mine on study break or something come down, and they wouldn't even say something. Sometimes they'd just walk in my room, plop down on my, on my foam rubber couch, and stare at my fish. There's something very relaxing about fish. I mean, if you haven't done this, you know, you try it. It's hypnotic. Um, and, and the fish look back. And they do. It's a two-way exchange. And, 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 and I, I can, many times I'd sit there and I'm looking in the tank. Now, they do know I'm the guy who puts that food on the top. But I'm looking in the tank and they'd come up to the glass and they'd They're staring right back. This is how it is with you and God. <laughs> Little minnows trying to understand their owner. He is out of your league. You're looking into a world you don't understand. You just know he sprinkles food on the top of the water. The arrival of Jesus Christ revealed God at a level far deeper than anything that had ever happened before. Moses and the prophets told us about God. He spoke to us through them. But when Jesus came, we actually saw God. We listened to God speak. We watched God minister. And we even touched God. I love it. John uses those words. He wasn't merely a teacher or a prophet. Though he was these things, he was, he certainly wasn't just a good man, though he was and still is a man. Jesus is the missing piece to the puzzle. He's the key that finally fits the lock so the door can be opened. When we understand who he is and what he has done, we can at last look back on the entire Bible and find that mystery after mystery suddenly makes sense. Do you understand that? Once you begin to see Jesus, you look back and one thing after another goes, oh, yeah. And you just see it and you see it. It becomes so clear. But until that key was in the lock, until Jesus came, you, it, was, it was confusing. 
You didn't know what this was about. You didn't entirely sure where it was going. You just had to trust God knew somehow that he, he had his hand on the wheel. From the things God said to Adam and Eve in the garden, to the sacrificial offerings in the tabernacle and temple, to the prophecies that an eternal king would come from the house of David, to the mysterious references in the prophets about a son of God. Once you meet Jesus, these passages and many more make sense. And they did for Saul of Tarsus too. Seeing Jesus in his glory on the road to Damascus changed everything. This great Jewish scholar now held the key that unlocked the mysteries of scripture and it didn't take him long to begin unlocking. Within days after being baptized, he was in the synagogues of Damascus proclaiming that Jesus is the son of God. Now the mystery, try to put yourself in their shoes. What do you suppose the people in the synagogues of Damascus heard when Saul told them that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God. Remember, they didn't know the Christmas story. Remember, they, had, they hadn't heard about an angel speaking to Mary. But they did know the Bible, and that term had meaning to them. Daily, they recited the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You know the Shema, do you? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, our God, the Lord is one. So they deeply believe there are not many gods. There is only one true God, yet all through their scriptures, mysterious things had happened or been said. God addressed someone when he said, let us make man in our image. He's talking to someone, isn't he? That's there. In fact, the very word for God is plural. Elohim is a plural. Why is this? God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, apparently in the form of a man, and conversed with them. D does he do that? Abraham and Sarah served a meal to someone in the form of a man who, whom Abraham and Moses, who wrote this, called Yahweh, the name of God. That's a profound situation there. What, Two years ago, not, or two trips ago, so it would be four years ago when we went to Israel, not this last trip, but the trip before, on, I think it was the last day, uh, our guide had invited a friend of his who is not, a, who's not messianic, but he's, he's, he's a young, uh, bright Jewish fellow who's also a guide. And I think, I think Mickey has been kind of witnessing to him and ministering. They, 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 they respected each other. And so he invited this fellow along. And I, I remember uh, he, he sat in the jump seat, and I'm in the seat behind him. And, of course, we get in a conversation. And we're talking. And at one point I said to him, I said, tell me something. When, when you hear the term son of God, that God had a son from Jewish ears, is the only thing you hear polytheism? Are you just hearing that there are... We're talking about two gods or many gods. Is, is that what you hear? And he, he shocked me. He said, he said no. I, I, I said, is there anything in your scriptures that will allow for this? And he took me to this very passage that I just quoted. He, and, he, and he took there and he, and he said, here, we, here you have, let me remind you of it. Abraham and Sarah sitting in their tent 
Three men come walking up there in Hebron. Three men come walking up. Uh, Abraham spots them, recognizes something unusual, immediately turns to Sarah and says, make dinner. But what he tells her to do is make massive amount of dinner. Not just a little bit. I, I won't go into it. But this, um, this ridiculously large amount uh, for each person. Make, make dinner. And he runs out to them and invi- invites them to stay. And we know that two of them are angels. We, the assignment is they're going to judge Sodom. Remember this? They're going to judge Sodom. By the way, at Hebron, is very high. You can look down and right into the, the Arabah, the, 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 the big rift valley. And Sodom was right on the south end of the sea of, of, uh, of the Dead Sea. And you can see that area. And so the angels, after dinner, head down. And they, they're going down uh, into the deal with Sodom and Gomorrah. And one remains behind. And it's, it's the Lord. And so you get this dialogue where Abraham, first of all, is negotiating for the life of his nephew. Remember this? He says, How, Lord, you're not going to judge the righteous with the wicked, are you? And uh, with the, not, not, not the judge of all the earth do righteously and all of this. And, and the, they bargained. And they came down that if there were 10 righteous, remember this? There's 10 righteous uh, that the city would be spared. Interesting concept, by the way. That God would spare a city for ten righteous. Um, and then it says that, that Abraham called him Yahweh. Moses does too because he goes on to say, and then Yahweh went on his way. And this, this, this young Jewish man said to me, can our father Abraham have been wrong? Does God do this? Does he come on in a human body? Can you serve God? Dinner? By the way, it wasn't a kosher meal. It wasn't. It was, there was milk and meat at the same meal. Yeah. Which, anyway. Moses was permitted to see God's back. Did you know he had one? He was permitted to see God's back as he passed by in the cleft of the rock. You remember, the, you remember it? it the, the, Moses says, can I see your glory? God says, are you kidding? I'll frickin' see you like a bug. <laughs> Basically, that's my modern translation of it. That's the idea. And so finally he says, well, I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock. So some, some narrow protected rock place. I'll put my hand over you. You can't see my face or you'll die. But I'll pa- as I pass by, I'll let you see my back what it says so so here's Moses in the cleft of the rock peering over the, over the hand and 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 the Lord passes by and he sees the back of Yahweh who is this see what I mean by mysterious and there were numerous other examples of the angel of the Lord appearing in human form and speaking to people David's son Then came one of the greatest promises in the Bible. God spoke it to David. In fact, I'd like you to read it with me. You've got it right there in front of you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be a father to him, 
and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established. That is a very important promise. That, that is, the, that is called, that's the, the messianic promise. Now listen, this is a mysterious passage. God seems to promise that he will enter into a father-son type of relationship with one of David's physical descendants. This part sounds totally human. You see that? D- David, because you, you've been faithful to me, this is my plan. When you die and you go on to be with your fathers, I will take one of your descendants. He doesn't say who. I'll take one of your descendants and I will raise him up and he will, I will establish his throne and he will rule for how long? Forever. Now, it's, that's, but it sounds like one of David's family. Was it Solomon? Oh, sweetheart, it was not Solomon. Uh, he ticks me off, that guy. It was not Solomon. Was it, was it Rehoboam, his grandson? Oh, he was an idiot. It's the one that lost the kingdom. Just remember that stupid youthful anyway. And, he, and, and so, and we just went on like that. Occasionally, you'd get somebody with their head on their shoulders. Uh, hallelujah. But for the most part, it was a downhill slide from, the, from then on. It was, it, was, it was just this direction. So, so where, where is this? Where's, where's, where's this person? Who, who is this? By the way, you'll, there's all, then there's the divine side. David also, this descendant of David also seems to possess divine qualities. He will build a great family for God and rule his kingdom forever. And I say, yet Solomon wasn't the person. And within a few generations, David's family dynasty had come to an end. And there had been no such king. It seemed the promise had failed. Psalms and Prophets. But in the Psalms and Prophets, this promise wasn't forgotten. Though the tree of David's dynasty had been cut down, a branch would sprout out of the humble roots of that tree. Why don't you read this with me? It's Isaiah 11. Then a shoot will spring from the root of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Now, I have a picture of this, and this is what, this is what Isaiah is, is illustrating. Is it, let's see. Have we got the picture? That, there we go. Hallelujah. All right. When we were in Israel, this is just my shot. It's not a good one. That the, sorry about the whole thing. But what you have there is the trunk of an olive tree. You see that? You see the big trunk? And it's cut off, isn't it? And what's happening out of its root has sprung a netzer. A netzer, a branch, a sprout has sprung not from the main family dynasty, not from the main trunk of the family, but it has sprung out out of the humble roots of the family. God says, I'm going to, David, he, he has... He's cut down David's dynasty. The promise did not go through David's dynasty. But God says, I'm going to raise up out of your roots. Isaiah says, I'll raise up out of your roots someone from a humble beginning. But they'll be related to you, David. 
And from there, I'll bring up the new dynasty. Who is the root from which this Netzer has sprung? He is the Netzer. Who did it, he spring from? This isn't an easy question. Come on, come on, Bible students. Not Adam. No. How about Mary? She is, she is of the family of David. And he is her son. Joseph has nothing to do with it. Joseph is simply, Joseph is simply the stepfather who takes care of him and, and has, has but the father, who's the father? Let's get this clear. The father is God. Mary, this, this is important. Mary has an angel appear and announce to her that she's going to become pregnant. She says, how can I? I know no man. And he says, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you. The spirit of the Lord came on Mary and fertilized the egg in her. If he can heal your body, if he can do the kinds of miracles, can he take an egg and fertilize it? As easily as anything else. Just not that hard. So the Spirit of the Lord just came over her and the thing fertilized right there. And in that process, the eternal Son of God came and joined human flesh. See, when, you, when your mother and father conceived you, your spirit ignited at that moment. You did not pre-exist. There's no holding tank in heaven and babies coming down. Let's get that clear, okay? You began, it's the moment at conception, a spirit arose. Your spirit began at that moment. Jesus did not. Jesus did not begin in his mother's womb. Jesus came from heaven and joined us. He's fully a man. He has a body, a soul, and a spirit. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit. Your spirit began at conception in your mother's womb. His spirit is from eternity. Do you follow this? This isn't that difficult, really. I mean, I don't understand it, but just the basics are, are there. All right. Isaiah beautifully expresses the mysterious union of human and divine in this person when he says... For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. A son will be given to us, a child will be given to us, and here's what we're going to call him. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. Quite the name. That's quite a name. Come here, wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. What is it? What, what, those, what kind of, who, who do you say that kind of stuff about? Uh-huh. You say that kind of stuff about God. I mean, you can name Elijah as Yahweh as God. I mean, you can, you can use certainly all of that, but Isaiah is saying more than that. And then Isaiah says, did you notice? And he will rule for how long? Forever. Do you see this in the scriptures? 
this tension. Here's this promise of a, of, of a son, and, and yet here's this indications that this is more than just another guy. This isn't just one of David's sons. That Daniel saw one like a son of man, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Daniel has this vision, and he sees right into the throne room of God. He sees the great ancient of days seated on a throne, and then someone walks in who looks like a human. doesn't say he is one. It says he looks like one. So he's, he walks up to him, and God the Father gives this person... Dominion over all human beings forever. That's quite the person. That's quite the person. Micah spoke to the town of Bethlehem and said, why don't you read it with me? From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Little little Bethlehem, the ruler of Israel will rise up from you and he will come from eternity. Wow. So Israel was waiting for someone who would set up God's kingdom on earth. He would be one of David's descendants, but he would also be like God. Holy, powerful, have all knowledge and wisdom, and he would rule the people of God forever. Now Psalm 2, this is a... This is a very important passage. If God had promised to treat David's descendants, descendant like a son, here in Psalm 2, he takes that promise to another level. It pictures God placing a king on the throne of the world. And it calls this person Messiah and hears him say these words. In fact, why don't you turn with me and just have a look at Psalm 2. I have memorized it. it it's uh, very very powerful psalm. So here, it, you got it? Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? So he's talking to the Gentile world. He's saying, why are the Gentile nations in an uproar? And, and they're making plans. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his what? Do you know what the word in Hebrew is? Messiah. And that is the only place it's used. They take counsel together against the Lord and against his Messiah, his Mashiach, his anointed one. Saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast their cords from us. So, so these kings, these Gentile worlds are saying, no way that God and his Messiah will rule over us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Ho, 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 ho. For surely he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. Saying, as for me, I have set my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. He, he, he says, I'm going to take my Messiah. I'm going to place him and he will rule the world. And then the Messiah speaks. Messiah, Messiah, Messiah says this. He says, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, say it with me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And then, and then God, he says, God said to me, 
Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, the very ends of the earth as your possession, and you shall break them with a rod of iron and shatter them like earthenware. You will destroy the enemy armies. That's really a reference to Armageddon and all of that. And then, then listen. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship Yahweh with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage Kiss, worship the sun. That he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. The nations of the earth are warned to worship him with reverence and rejoice with trembling. To do homage, kiss the sun, that he not become angry. This does not merely speak of a father-son-like relationship. It's not God adopting a very special man and then telling everyone to treat him like his son. You never worship a man. If theology 101 is he's God, you're not, theology 201 is you never worship a man. Why don't you say that? Never. There you go. Even angels wouldn't allow themselves to be worshipped. Remember that? You only Worship God. So who is this? New Testament statements. You tell me, let's, let's see if we can figure out who said it. The term son of God is often used in the New Testament. Listen, Matthew 3, and I just take Matthew. I just had to limit it somehow. This is my beloved son. Who said that? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Remember that at the baptism. Matthew 4, 3. If you are the son of God... Satan, turn these stones into bread. Remember that? Matthew 8, 29. What do we have to do with you, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? The legion. That's, we talked about that fellow. You remember this? What did they call him? Son of God. Yeah, they know who he, exactly who he is. Matthew 16. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Who said that? Peter. Blessed are you, Peter. Flesh and blood hasn't shown you this. this my, my father has revealed to you this truth. Matthew twenty two forty one. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Who asked that question? Jesus did with, when, he's, when he's dealing with the Pharisees. They're arguing. So, so he says this. He says, what do you think about Messiah, the, this, this son of David? Whose son is he? And their answer was, he's David's son. And then Jesus says, well, then why does David say, and he, begins, he quotes from Psalm 110, verse 1, which David wrote. He says, why does David in the spirit, in other words, anointed, prophetically speaking in the spirit, why does David say, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. If David is his father, why would he call his son Lord? Listen to me, in, in, in that culture, and in cultures a lot of the world, no father ever calls their son Lord. They call him boy, junior, my boy, my kid. But you don't call him Lord ever. Uh, Joseph could be governor of Egypt. Boy, when he, went home, when he went home to Jacob, he got down and he had Jacob lay his hands and bless him. That's his father. And that relationship never changes. You understand that? No, no father calls his son, even if, no matter what he is, even if, but if he's, he's the Messiah, he never calls him Lord. 
Not in that economy. And yet Jesus says, David does in the spirit. Why was that? What's the answer? Well, not only is he David's son, he is also God's son. That's where Jesus was going. He was drawing them out. He's trying to say, can't you see? The one we've been waiting for is far more than just one more of David's sons. Caiaphas says this, I'll give you a hint. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus answered by quoting from the passage in Daniel that we read earlier. The high priest responded by tearing his robe and declaring that Jesus had blasphemed. He says, tell me if you're the son of God. And Jesus says, you'll see the son of man, using that phrase from Daniel, coming on the clouds with the angels. That's me. That glorious divine person is me. Caiaphas grabs his robe, rips it. It says, blasphemy. Because it was, unless it was true. Who said this? If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. The people, the mockers. Who said this? Truly, this was the son of God. The centurion. Most of these seem to equate Son of God with the term Messiah. They're thinking of a person who's been adopted into a father-son-like relationship. But as we said earlier, Jesus unlocks the mysteries of the Bible. And there is none more important than this, the divine Son. Only days after being baptized, Saul of Tarsus was proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. And yes, he believed Jesus was the Messiah, the promised Son of David. But on the road to Damascus... The person he saw was much more than that. He saw Jesus shining with divine glory. He called him Lord. Years later, he described what happened in this way. But when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son, where? Say in me again. To reveal his son in me. Get a hold of this was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He's, he's, he looks up into the sky and for, for whatever, however long his eyeballs last, looking into that Shekinah glory, he sees Jesus. He didn't just see light, he saw him. He, he says it clearly. I saw him. And he's looking at him and in that moment he knew, oh, this isn't just another, this isn't just a human son of David. And he called him Lord. And he says in that moment, he revealed him, the son of God in me. Where is, where is the great son of God now? He's inside us, is he not? By the spirit. And yes, he is at the right hand of the father in his physical body. No rabbi, no Jewish scholar says something like that about a man, no matter who that man is. In that blinding flash, he saw the promised one and knew he was literally God's son, that in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, to put it in his words. Yes, God's son became a man and was in that sense a son of God, like Adam and Eve and like you and me. Yes, Jesus was the promised human descendant of David and will sit on his throne forever. But one look at Jesus and Saul knew that he was more than that. He was also God. 
And with that key, that revelation, he would look back into the scriptures and realize that Jesus is the one who walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, who made a covenant with Abraham, who spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai, and who Daniel saw approach the Ancient of Days. Suddenly, it all made sense. Indeed, there is only one God, but he has always had a son who is divine and just like him, who serves his father in perfect unity and love, and whom he sent from heaven to become one of us, so that God himself could take upon himself the judgment for our sins and adopt us, adopt us as his children forever. I'm going to put a scripture on the screen, and, and I, if you're able to do so, if you're comfortable doing it, would you stand with me? We're going to confess with Paul. These are Paul's words. I'll call him Paul now. We're moving forward. This Saul of Tarsus became our great apostle. That, that revelation of who Christ is, as he looks back in, his, in the scriptures, this great Jewish scholar, and he looks back and he sees... This is who he sees. This is the truth. Let's confess these aloud with me. So we're in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. Are you ready? Here we go. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Just stop for a second. He just said that through Jesus, everything's been created in the spiritual world and the physical world. Did you see that? That's outrageous or it's true. It's outrageous or it's true. That's who Rabbi Shaul who saw Jesus and blinded him. That's his conclusion. When he goes back into his scriptures, that's what he sees. It has always been Jesus. The son, that's whose back Moses saw. That's who walked in the garden. The divine son of God has always been the one who's loved us. Father loves us dearly, sent him. But Jesus Christ has always loved you. Here we go. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of the, in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Let's say that one again. Does that fit you today? He says, he's talking about us. He says, although you were formerly 
alienated and hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death and in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Say that last phrase. Just a second. Come back to that, please. Holy and blameless and beyond reproach. You went from being alienated, hostile, and engaged in evil deeds, but through Christ you are now holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right, here we go. One more. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Paul says all you have to do is not forsake the gospel. Not stop trusting Jesus Christ. That's living faith in our hearts. We've gone from alienated, hostile in mind, to holy and without reproach. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.